Good morning, church. Good morning. Good morning. Um, you know, it's it's a wonderful thing when everything comes together. And uh, uh, we did not talk about this at all, but every single song that uh, Brother Marzette led us in this morning was really my lesson. So, I mean, we could do the invitation now and, and call, it a, call it a service. That's assuming... Uh, you were listening to the words. It's assuming that as you were singing, you were internalizing uh, the message. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, well done, brother. Um, I know we didn't plan it, but all glory be to God. Amen. Um, there is a, a verse that was associated with the last song that we just read, uh, sang uh, in 154. Uh, Revelations 118. I didn't have it in my lesson, but... Uh, you know, again, all glory be to God. He, he opens doors and, 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 you know, at every corner. Uh, Revelations 118, I'll, I'll read it. It says, uh, and this is uh, Christ uh, speaking to uh, John as he's receiving uh, this uh, revelation, if you will, uh, while in, whilst in prison on the island of Patmos. Uh, Jesus says here, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold... I am alive forevermore, amen, and have the keys of hell and and have the keys of hell and of death. Mm -hmm. uh, that's Revelation 1 18. And uh, again, you know, it's it is a truly a blessing that um, we serve a, a, a living father that whilst uh, Christ our Lord and Savior died, went down the ground arose that he never saw death a second time. Uh, he experienced death just as, as we did. He was judged just as we are, just as we will be judged. And it says in, in the book of Acts, excuse me, not in the book of Acts, but in the book of John that he ascended up into heaven and now he sits upon the throne of God. And he himself tells us that he has the keys of hell and of death, and you know, to uh, to the what does it say? To the want uh, to the the spoils go to the victor, mm -hmm. um, and we know that Christ overcame sin and death, and so yeah, it makes sense that He holds the keys as well. Um, I want to that was kind of introduction number one, so I'll, I'll phase into introduction number two. I, I really haven't mastered transitionary periods, but um, it is what it is. Uh, I was in the shower this morning. I was thinking about, because uh, that's where I do all of my, my thinking, is, uh, you know, in the shower where it's warm, it's private, I'm alone, no disruptions. I can't hold my phone in the shower because it's not waterproof. I mean, I'm, I'm disconnected in a number of different ways uh, from what's going on around me. It, it's just me and my thoughts, really. And uh, I was thinking this morning um, whether or not I should stop um, asking this question about how you feel. I was uh, reminded of a number of occasions where Brother Marzette, uh, you know, Brother People, Sister Bill, um, you know, I made comments, you know, I love coming to worship because I'm disconnected from you know, what's going on with me physically. It, you know, I, I'm not feeling my best, but when I'm here in worship, um, you know, I forget about that for a second. And I thought, you know, that shame on me to 
you know, bring that back to the forefront of your brain. Um, shame on me, you know, if you want an escape today, um, then sh who, who am I to, you know, to, to take you away from that escape and have you focus on how you feel? And I got to thinking, you know, maybe I, I, I should probably stop doing that. But then I thought, our worship is a worship of the Spirit. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, but it is, is a worship of the Spirit. Certainly, it, it's a, a respite from our lives. But it's not, it's not like um, a worship service where we're, we're pulling the wool over our eyes. I mean, the reality of the situation is, is that we are worshiping with the Spirit, but we are existing here with these bodies. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, as I was thinking, I was thinking about um, how I feel after I go home. Mm -hmm. And I don't know about you, but it's, it's kind of like drinking sugar or, you know, caffeine, right? You're on a high... You know, all glory be to God. I mean, you're, 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 we're all worshiping. We're all, you know, on our spiritual plane. And then when we get home, right? You sit down on your couch. You start to take off your clothes. And what are you left with? You have, you're high, and then, you know, you have a drop off. And I'm not saying that. Here's what I'm saying is that I'm saying that that is the reality of the situation. Um, you know, I, I've got so many things in my brain right now, and I'm trying to collate and line them up on the fly here. Um, so here's where I'll start. Uh, I was watching, or not watching, but listening to an AM program, talk show, funny guys. Don't agree with what, all the things that they say, but you know, they have some you know, insights, and it's humorous. It's, you know, kind of a way for my brain to veg. And they were talking about the Sunday scares. Mm. Have you heard that? Mm. The Smondays, or Smondays, Sunday scare, whatever the case might be. It, it's this catchphrase that the new generation, these, you know, young adults, um, I would say that it's probably been around for ages, but... It, it's really kind of a, a moniker for people who are, you know, not not excited about the Monday, right? It's, you know, your brain is thinking about, oh my goodness, now I got to go back to work. I got to go back to the rat, the rat race, the grind. And it, it, it's a depressive mindset um, that uh, people fall into on, on Sundays. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I got to thinking about me personally after worship, how I, I kind of, you know, fall into this, this, you know, this dip, right? It's, ah, I'm back with this old body, you know, back with however it is I'm feeling. Um, and I'm, 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 I'm missing. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm. In, in many ways, depressed in the fact that I can't get that feeling back until next Lord's Day, when I'm with you all. Now, um, you know, some things have helped. Um, I remember way back in the day, we'd have, we'd come back to the building and have Bible class and, you know, evening devotional. Um, even, you know, today there's that spiritual encouragement hour. 
which I think is a fantastic uh, phrase because it is encouraging, you know, at the latter end of the day to, to get to get fed again. Um, but I also got to thinking about, you know, what the scripture said about what Paul himself said about wanting to get to heaven. Mm -hmm. I mean, he wanted to get there. But he said it was needful for him to stay. Right. So I say all that to say this. How do you feel today? Mm -hmm. and, I, and I want you, this isn't, I don't say it depressively. I don't want you to fall into a pit of despair. I don't want to take away from the, you know, the shine of, of worshiping our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But I think even he would want us to uh not be fit, you know not get caught up in this euphoria of worship but to realize that we are spiritual beings in the reality of a physical body and so how do you feel uh you know take sock of how you feel mm -hmm. i mean feel your toes feel your fingers feel your brain feel your elbows feel your knees feel your back our our brother bill fell yesterday so I know his his back is <laughs> he's not looking at me right now, um, and he's trying to avoid it. But uh, you know, you know he's he's probably not feeling his best as as well today. That's the reality of the situation, and so I I I say all that to lead into. Yeah, we, we were we were we were just talking to you, brother Bill. Uh, it's okay. The reality of the situation is this, and this is taught in my lesson: faith is the victory that overcomes the world. Mm -hmm. It sounds like a song, doesn't yeah. it? Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And the the songs that we sing are beautiful because it reminds us of spiritual principles. Mm -hmm. So. <clears throat> There's there's two things um, if you're if you're writing down notes there's there's two things that we're going to touch on today about faith is a victory the one is the first aspect of this lesson is that you have to work in order to utilize faith as a means of overcoming the reality of how you feel right now the reality of the pain. The reality of the, of the discomfort, the reality of the anxiety, the reality of the worries, even the reality of the guilt that you may be carrying this morning. There's one thing that you need to overcome that, and that's faith. But that faith requires you to work. And then the second thing is that it requires God to work. Mm -hmm. There's two active ingredients that are required in faith is that you have to work or you have to put something into it and God himself has to put something into it. With that said, uh, let's turn to First um, John. First John, the fifth chapter. And uh, before we read this, I, I do want to, again, just maybe strengthen the, the introduction a bit by saying this. Um, there, are, there are things that, 
we all struggle with. There's kind of fundamental things, and then there's unique things, right? I'm, I come from a different place in life than maybe you do. Uh, maybe I, I, my, my friends or my, the environment in which I work, my age, my gender, uh, my height, my skin color, you know, all of those variations may lead to different, a different set of challenges that are unique to me that are maybe different to you. But one of the things that is, is, is a blessing with being a child of God is that in spite of all of those unique challenges, that I can walk around confidently knowing that God is with me. It, 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 you know, there, and, and, I, and you know the scripture, right? It says that there is nothing new under the sun. Uh, Solomon said that in the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, you know, he also the scripture also tells us that there is no temptation that is uncommon or that isn't common to man. You know, all of us have, you know, there are, we are not unique. We are unique maybe individually, but we are not unique in the fact that we all struggle with three things. Mm-hmm. We're all tempted in three ways. Mm-hmm. We're tempted through the lust of the eyes, the lust of the, uh, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And you can read that, uh, what is it, in First John, the second chapter, um, verses 15 through, through 17. And, and we'll actually go back and, and look at that. But in 1 John chapter 5, starting at verse number 1, uh, the Apostle John says, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ, and, I, and I'm going to repeat that again, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And the reason why I want to reemphasize that is if you go and you look at 2 Corinthians, I want to say it's the uh, 13th chapter or so, uh, Paul talks about, um, in the 11th chapter, my apologies. Uh, Paul talks about these false leaders and these false prophets. In verse number 13, he says that they are deceitful workers transforming themselves into the apostles of God. He says in verse number 14 in Omarmo, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of life. Um, uh, and just as another point of reference, in 1 John, the fourth chapter, and verse number three, uh, John again says here that every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus, is, Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God, and that is the spirit of Antichrist. Mm-hmm. And so I, I say all that to say this, that there are a number of self-help books there are a number of uh, life coaches. There are a number of so-called wise men, sages, you know, experts. You know, you can go to YouTube. Um, you can go to your bookstore, and you can find these self-help books. What does it mean to be successful? Rich Dad, Poor Dad, mm-hmm. right? As, you know, this uh, as the famous book is entitled about success. Let's say. And there are even books by those people who do not confess the name of Jesus Christ, but will say 
if you follow me, right, you can overcome whatever unique challenges that you are facing in life. And I, I say that to say this, that the Bible is explicit in this fact that the one who does not believe that Jesus is the Christ. You know what definition of Christ is? If you go back and you, and you look at what does it mean to, to be a Christ? Well, to be a Christ, it means that you are above all. Mm -hmm. You are above reproach. You are above, you know, all of the experiences of the physical realm. That's what it means to be a Christ. And Jesus is not just a Christ, but he is the Christ. If you look at all these self-help books, what do, they, what do they do? Well, if you go back and look at what we just read in 2 Corinthians, the 11th chapter, what does it say that they do? They're... There are false prophets, false apostles, deceitful workers. They What do they do? They transform themselves as apostles of Christ. Right? Even the devil himself makes it seem like he is the light. Mm -hmm. Have you had, had, when was the last time you saw darkness look like light? Physically. When was the last time you've been in the dark and the dark has been transformed into light? Is that physically possible for darkness to be like the light? It's not. So, and we know that uh, the Bible is true. So how is that possible? Okay. This is how it's possible. Look at the, look at the lights above you on the ceiling right now, mm -hmm. and then close your eyes. Mm -hmm. What do you see? Mm -hmm. Okay, you may not see the light, mm -hmm. but what do you see when your eyes are closed? You still see the remnants of light. It's Okay, and I'm not going to talk, get too caught up in the weeds, right? But what's happening here is that photons of light are coming out of these, uh, these uh, what do they call these... Uh, Fluorescent light bulbs. Thank you. And they're exciting the rods and cones in your eyes, right? And so when you immediately close your eyes, it's not the light, but it's an excitement of the light. It's the remnants of the light. You see what Satan does here is he does some a spiritual trick that's analogous to that. Right? Is he can't expose you to, he can't transform himself into the light until you're exposed to it first off. Because you wouldn't know what the light is until you've seen it first. Right? He can't trick you until you know what the light looks like first. So what does he do? You know, he, he says, hey, here's the truth. Now close your eyes and follow me. I'll lead you in the darkness. If you look at all of these books that talk about being successful, overcoming anxiety, being a better person, getting fit, right? I mean, there's some craziness on the internet. There's some craziness in your bookstore. But what are they all doing? They are all taking biblical principles and transforming them. 
right? They are taking the dark or they're taking the words that are already written here in the Bible that are already exposed that everybody can see and they're saying, close your eyes to the gospel of Jesus Christ and look over here. Now you may see remnants of the light, but it is not the true light of the word of God. And so I go back to what John said here. He says, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone that loveth him that begat loveth him also that is begotten of him. And this is how we know that we love the children of God when we love God and we keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Now I want to ask a question. What does that mean? To overcome the world. And, and how does faith play a role in that? Well, again, um, as we will look at in 1 John, the second chapter, and uh, verse number 14, this is what, again, what John wrote. He says, I have written unto you, fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you, young men, because ye are strong, and the word of God abideth in you, and ye have overcome the wicked one. So how did they overcome the wicked one? Well, this is what they did. They loved not the world, neither the things that are in the world. It goes on to say in verse number 15, If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. I want to, I want to, I've got a couple <coughs> thoughts in my brain here, and I'm just going to pick one path and go down. So, um, I'm just going to give it up to God, and hopefully this is the path that touches you. So, this is the path that I want to go down. When you wake up in the morning, what's the first, what's the first thing you think about? Okay, in, in your brain, think about that, just catalog. What's the second thing that you think about? Okay, what's the difference between the first thing and the second thing? Here's, here's where I'm going with this. It says in verse number 15 that these young men who are strong, who abide in the word of God and have overcome the wicked one, it says that they love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. So what do they love? You know, the scripture tells us that where your treasure is, there is your heart also. You know, you know the biblical principle there is, is the thing that you invest your psychological um, resources on, that is where you are going to pattern your life after. That's going to be your goal. That's the thing that you're going to focus on fundamentally every single day that you wake up. Okay, mm -hmm. mm -hmm. hold on to that thought. And I'll go back to the question about what do you think about first and what do you think about second here in a few moments. Go to the book of Romans, the first chapter. 
Again, these young men that John talks about that were strong, that abided in the word of God and were able to overcome the wicked. <coughs> Think about this conversely in Romans, the first chapter, starting at verse number 28. And speaking about these, these individuals, as it says in verse number 25, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped the creature more than the creator. They worshipped things that were already created more than the person who created them. This is what happened in verse number 28. It says, even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Now I ask you again, what is the first and second thing that you think about? What's the third thing? What's the fourth thing? Fifth thing? It doesn't matter. What do you think about in the morning when you wake up? What do you think about um, when you jump in the car to go wherever it is that you're going to go? What do you think about at lunch? What's the final thing you think about before you go to bed at night? Mm -hmm. And I compare and contrast these strong, <coughs> upstanding young men who abided in the Word of God, and then I contrast that with these other men who did not retain the knowledge of God in their brains. Mm -hmm. There's two different mentalities at work here. Right. The, the former is that they love not the world, neither the things in the world. And the other is that they served and worshipped the world more than the creator mm -hmm. of the world. Mm -hmm. I look at the latter. In verse number 29, it says that the latter were filled with all unrighteousness, mm -hmm. fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boaster, evil of, inventor of evil things, disobedient to parents. It says that, you know, and this is a word that that uh, they were implacable, unforgiving, unmerciful, without natural affection. You know, you know, when Paul was struggling with the thorn in the side, he understood his reality. And we talked about that I want to say three or four Sundays ago, I think I gave a lesson on that as well. And what did he say? He said, I understand the reality of the situation. I understand how I feel because I struggle with it all the time. I, I prayed three times vehemently mm -hmm. for God to remove this thorn in my side. Mm -hmm. And what was Jesus's response? He says, my my grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Mm -hmm. So why would you go to, why would you listen to some wise man, some life coach, some sage, read some self-help book to, I guess, if you will, uh, overcome 
or not even overcome, because that, that's too close to a Bible word. Mm -hmm. Let's say this. To confuse or maybe to, to get you to the point where you think I have no weaknesses. Mm -hmm. I listened to a man say on, on, I was watching this program and he said, the question was, um, oh, what was the, what was the question? Um, do you have any insecurities? Hmm. He was like, no, I don't have no insecurities. And he said it with that type of hubris, with that level of confidence. I don't have any insecurities. I don't have any, you know, issues with me. I don't, they're, I'm bulletproof. Mm -hmm. So to that man, does, does the, the grace that Christ spoke of, is it an active ingredient in his life? Is he a benefactor? Can he use the grace of God, the grace of Jesus Christ? With that type of statement. Why would you. Not be so in tune with. The fallibilities. The insecurities. The weaknesses that make you who you are. And disconnect from that entirely. And, and, and lose out on the strength. That Christ can give you through his grace. Mm -hmm. In the word of God. Do you understand how that works? Mm -hmm. Is. <clears throat> It is the, the challenges, the weaknesses, and I, and I guess I would say in some respects the, the insecurities of Thomas Garner that makes my relationship with God and Christ so strong. Amen. Because he said his strength is made perfect in my weakness. I mean, when I realize that I can't get from point A to point B without Jesus Christ, who do I take with me every day? Who is my first and my second and my third and my last thought every single day if I am weak and I can't make it through the day but without? Okay, well, what did Christ say? I can do, or excuse me, what did Paul say? I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me, which means that I'm weak. Yes. And I need Christ's strength Every day. And that's the reason why I hang with him. Mm -hmm. That's the reason why he hangs with me. Mm -hmm. That's the reason why faith in Jesus Christ is the victory. Because we can't win without Christ. Mm -hmm. And if anybody tells you any different, they're a wolf in sheep's clothing. Mm -hmm. Those are those antichrists mm -hmm. that we just got to reading about. Those are those... False leaders, those false prophets that Paul talks about. If you ever Bibles turn to, um, and I, again, this is where I get to um, one of the points. All right, so faith, I think we've established that, right? You know, my our faith is rooted in this principle that I can't do it on my own. I need Christ, and I need to be in Christ mm -hmm. in order to win. I need to be in Christ to overcome this world and the reality of this world that I live in. I have to focus on my love for God, just as a strong man who abided in the word. What does it say? They didn't love anything else except the love of God. Mm -hmm. But you need to do something. There, there needs to be some things at work, which is 
you know, half, you know, part of the story. Uh, you can't just say, okay, I, I have faith and just sit on your hands and expect things to happen for you. There, there has to be something at work. And there's two things that have to be working. You got to be working. God has to be working. Mm -hmm. In 1 Thessalonians, <clears throat> um, Um, and where's the verse I want to I'm sorry I didn't mark it and I should have done that uh, 1 Thessalonians the first chapter let's, let's start there and let's start at verse number 5 1 Thessalonians the first chapter and verse number 5 now this is Paul Mm -hmm. And Sylvanus mm -hmm. and Timothy mm -hmm. writing, you know, writing a penning an epistle to the church at Thessalonica. Right. Thessalonica, as most congregations were, there are different people, mm -hmm. different walks of life. Mm -hmm. Okay, I, I translate that into to modern times by saying this: you got white folks, you got black folks, you got Asian folks. Latino folks, you've got rich, poor, English, Spanish, Tagalog, merchants, office people, day laborers. I mean, it was an amalgamation of different people because as, as it was in Corinth, as it was in Thessalonica, as it was in Galatia, as it was in Ephesus, these were major cities of, 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 of business, right? These were merchant cities. If you, if you have a map, you can see you know, that, you know, through a majority of Paul's missionary journeys, he was, you know, going from port to port. Mm -hmm. I say all that to say this. This is what Paul said in verse number five. Let's start at verse number four. He says, knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God, for our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance as you know, what manner of men we we were among you for your sake. Mm -hmm. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction mm -hmm. with joy of the Holy Ghost, so that ye were examples to all that believe in Macedonia and Acacia. Mm -hmm. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Acacia, but also in every in every place, your faith to Godward is spread about spread abroad, so that we need not to speak anything. Mm -mm. Proof is in the pudding. Mm -hmm. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turned wow. to God mm -hmm. from idols to serve the living. And true God yeah. and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead even Christ which delivered us from the wrath to come now there is so much to unpack here but one of the highlights is, is you're talking about a melting pot of a place mm -hmm. and Paul and Sylvanus and Timothy are saying 
we don't even, you guys have done the work for us. I mean, we, 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 we are imparting the word of God, but your belief, the, the way that you guys are have accepted the Word of God and are living after the Word of God precedes us. Mm -hmm. It says that you, the type of people that they, that they were sounded out the Word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Acacia, but also in every place your faith to God word is spread abroad such that we don't need to say very much. And where is the proof? The proof is, is that they understood the reality of the situation. Is that a dead God can't do me any good. You know, when Paul in the book of Acts was in Athens, he was speaking to the philosophers and you know, the Epicureans mm -hmm. and, and, you know, these, these doctors of philosophy. Mm -hmm. What did he tell them? He told them, you're silly. Mm -hmm. Why? Because you're worshiping a creature and not the creator. Mm -hmm. He said, it doesn't make any sense that you would spend time worshiping something that is dead that is not active, that cannot work in your life. Mm -hmm. Now you may say, well, Thomas, when are you going to get to the scripture reading? I'm going to do that right now. Mm -hmm. I'm going to start by saying this. It takes a worm, you know, and, and you know, pick a worm. Let's say a caterpillar, okay? A caterpillar, it, part of its life cycle is it starts off as this small little worm, it grows and grows and grows, and then once it's gotten full, it goes through a process of metamorphosis, and then it turns into a butterfly, only to create new worms, right? So, let's say a worm. In order for it to, to get full grown, to eat an entire gourd, let's say it takes three days. Mm -hmm. I'm, not, I'm not a scientist of insects, but let's just throw that out there. Three days. How long does it take for a well of sufficient size to swallow a human to get to that size? Well, blue whales, and maybe it was a blue whale, it says it was a fish, let's say it's a whale. Okay. okay. That's 10 to 13 years. Okay, in, in Jonah it talks about a gourd. Mm -hmm. You know, let's say a gourd growing to a sufficient height to cover you know, a head, a head of a man to, to give him shade, that takes what, I don't know, uh, let's say it's a pumpkin or some other succulent, let's say uh, two to three months. Mm -hmm. I'm just throwing out numbers here, right? right? It takes time right. to do this. And, and I'm getting to the point of God works. Mm -hmm. God is alive. So if you go to the book of John, in the first chapter, now I, I, I just wanna just wanna say just for just for a few moments that the book of Jonah has nothing to do with the Ninevites. 
The book of Jonah has everything to do with the man Jonah. And Jonah doesn't understand mm -hmm. the fact that this whole situation has nothing to do with Nineveh. It has everything to do with God wanting to improve, make perfect, mm -hmm. chasten, mm -hmm. inspire, all these positive words that God does in each of our lives. This is exact. Jonah was the focal point all along. And he doesn't even know it. In the first chapter of the book of Jonah, uh, Jonah is told by God to go to Nineveh, that evil city, and preach, to pro uh, prophesy a message of repentance. Mm -hmm. Jonah says, no, I'm not going. He goes in the opposite direction on board a ship. The ship is caught in a fatal storm. All of them were, were fated to die. Except no, uh, Jonah says, I know the reason why the storm is here. I, I was told by God to do something. I didn't do it. Um, just cast me overboard. And the men were like, first off, if this is God, and you know, we're just, we're just innocent bystanders, I don't want to upset God if I throw one of his men overboard. I don't, <laughs> your blood is not going to be on my hands. And Jonah said, don't worry about it. Um, you know, this is all me. It says that God prepared a fish. Do you know what the word prepared means? It means that the person who's preparing had to have already had the thought to do so. You understand what I'm saying here? Even before 10 13 years ago, if this was a blue well, I'm just throwing out a number here, 10 to 13 years prior to this event, 10 to 13 years prior to Jonah making this particular choice, God had already purposed in his brain to prepare a fish to grow up, to get to a sufficient size, to be in that particular body of water at that moment that when Jonah jumped over, he would go directly from the boat into the mouth of this fish. Amen. God is alive and he works. Yes. Okay, we, we read, you continue on in the book of Jonah. It says that he was in the belly, what, three days and three nights? Yes. He prayed. And what is it? The, 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 the fish threw him up onto the shore. But not just any shore. It was the right shore. It was on the side of the sea where Nineveh was. God is alive and God works. God, uh, we read, we fast forward, Jonah goes and he preaches um, this message of repentance to the Ninevites. Um, we know that God stayed the punishment of the city of Nineveh because there were those within that city that did repent. And here's where we go to the scripture reading. And, and, and I say that 
and I don't want to, I gotta stop saying I say this mm-hmm. because the scripture speaks, not me. Mm-hmm. Um, in Jonah, the fourth chapter, Jonah still didn't get it. He was still angry with God that he works too much. You know, God inserts himself way too much into the cares of mankind. Why won't you just let mankind be and make their own choices and and make dumb and dangerous decisions? And and why don't you allow them to uh, be benefactors of their own decisions? That's, in essence, what Jonah was upset with. These Ninevites are evil. They made the choice to be evil. Why would you send me over here to sin to deliver a prophecy of repentance? Why can't they just die as evil people because they made the choice? But God works, and God is alive. Mm -hmm. And so he taught Jonah a lesson. As brother uh, people read, Jonah um, was out on the east side of the city of Nineveh, pouting. Mm-hmm. As and I'm not, I'm not disparaging our brother Jonah because I pout too. Mm-hmm. I pout too. You pout. Mm-hmm. <coughs> How is it that all of these people are doing well, but I'm not? They made the choice to do what they're doing, and they look happy doing it. Why can't you just, how come they just can't get what they deserve right now? Mm-hmm. Right? Because, you know, we're going through it. You know, maybe my life isn't as comfortable as theirs. Maybe my smile isn't as wide as theirs. And so, you know, we, we go, to our, go to our rooms alone, nobody else around us, and we pout. Do we not? Mm-hmm. Man, I'm trying to do right, mm-hmm. but they're doing wrong. Mm-hmm. I'm sad. I got this guilt because you know it's tough living the life of a righteous Christian. But look at these folks; they live fancy free. Mm-hmm. So we see Jonah. In the sixth verse, it says again, And the Lord God prepared a gourd. He didn't just, whoop, he prepared a gourd. You know what this means? That again, even before Jonah found himself on the east side of the city, God had a purpose within himself to have a seed planted in the ground at that exact spot. Mm-hmm. And, and and it be watered from some source mm-hmm. that exact spot. He, you know, let's say two to three months. Mm-hmm. Two to three months prior, right? This gourd is cracked out of the ground and it's growing and it's it's doing its thing and it's mm-hmm. it's bending over. Right? Mm-hmm. It's bending over to provide shade because that's its purpose, because God had prepared it. For this exact purpose of teaching Jonah a lesson. God is alive and he works. Okay, it's over his head. And Jonah was exceedingly glad. Mm -hmm. He was happy. Mm -hmm. You know where I'm getting with this, right? Mm -hmm. When you're pouting, 
You know, even before that moment, God has prepared a lesson for you and for me. You don't believe me? Go back and look at the chronicle of your life. You know all those moments where God has taught you a lesson. Where you've been pouting, I don't got anybody, I don't got any money, I don't got a nice car, I don't got a job, blah, 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 blah. And then what does he do? God is alive and he works and he's prepared you an analogous gore. And when he does, you're exceedingly glad, just like everybody else. But what does he do? It says, all those who God loves, he also chastens. And here comes Jonah's chastisement. In verse number 7, God also prepared a worm. You see how God prepared a fish? Mm-hmm. He, prepared the wor- he prepared the gourd. He prepared the worm. All towards the purpose of <coughs> teaching and instructing his child. And it says that it came to pass that the sun came up. And guess what? God prepared a vehement east wind. Do you know what you know what it takes to prepare a wind that vehement? We're talking about global climate here, right? So God had to prepare the globe to allow this vehement east wind to strike John in his face. God is alive and he works. And what did he Man. what happened to Job? It says that the sun beat on his head. The wind was sitting in his face, and he fainted and wished in himself to die, because he said it was better to die than to live. And then God hits him with the question, as he hits all of us with the question. So, (laughs) how did it serve you to be angry for the gore? I mean, why? Is it well with you to be angry for the Gordon? And Jonah says, yeah, it's well with me to be angry. It's well with me even to be angry until death. Mm-hmm. Then the Lord said, you are angry until death, right? Because this gore that I prepared provided shelter and comfort for you. Mm-hmm. And when, it's, when that shelter and comfort is gone, what are you left with? You are left with the reality that life is hard. That life, I was going to use a word, but I'm not going to use it. That life is difficult. (coughs) That you, in and of yourself, cannot provide the comfort that you feel you need. You can't do it. You can't prepare a gore. You can't prepare a worm. You can't prepare a fish. But guess who can? God can. And it says in verse number 10, Then said the Lord, Thou hast had pity on the gourd, for for the which thou hast not labored. Neither madest it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. Should I not, and should not I spare Nineveh, that great city wherein more than six score thousand persons, that cannot discern between their right hand and the left hand, and also much cattle. You know, that is a lesson to me. It's a reminder to me that God is alive and He works in each and every one of our lives. And that's an important facet of our faith. That is an important 
um, ingredient that we need to realize in order to overcome the challenges of this world that we live in is that God is alive and he's working in your life. Now, I'm going to spend a little bit of time on the book of James. And I'll conclude because I know I've, I've had you in your seats for a while. Um, in uh, James, the, uh, the, the first chapter, and I'm not going to read all of it, but <clears throat> well, what does it say um, in verse number 8 of James, the first chapter? It says, The double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. It says in verse number 6, But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. Mm -hmm. For he that wavereth like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. Mm -hmm. That's James, the first chapter, and I read 6 and 8. Goes on to say in James, the second chapter, Verse number 17. Even so, faith, if it isn't working, is dead. Being alone. Yea, man, yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. And here is the penultimate verse. For this course in the lesson. It is not of any consequence at all to say you believe in God. <laughs> Verse number 19 says, Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. You know, so this faith that gives us the ability to overcome the reality of how you feel today has to have two things. It has to have a faith that works. I mean, meaning you have to work. You've got to be doing something. You've got to put your faith into action. Because if you are not acting upon your faith, then it is dead and that dead faith cannot overcome the world. No. Good point. I mean, look at it. Mm -hmm. It says in verse number 21, Abraham, our father, was justified by his works when he went and he, almost, he <coughs> took his son and laid him down on an altar. He took that knife and was about to plunge it into his son. And what happened? It says that God stayed his hand. And, and what happened afterwards? They looked over yonder, and there was prepared for them. I use that word again. There was prepared for them a ram whose horns were caught in a thicket. Do you know how long it takes to, to raise a ram to full sacrificing age? I don't know how much it is. Let's say... Seven years. That means seven years before that event, God had purposed in his brain to have a young ram grow up and born of sufficient size with horns of a sufficient length to get stuck in a thicket at that exact moment. 
when God stayed the hands of his son Abraham. Do you understand? God is alive and he works, but it also requires you to work. And when you are working and God is working, miracles happen. Faith that overcomes the world. Yes. You know, Jesus talked about this faith the size of a mustard seed. He said, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can tell this mountain to go from here over into the middle of the sea where mountains don't normally grow. But if you're working and God is working, you can overcome anything in your life. Anything. 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 Because there is nothing new under the sun. There is no temptation that is not common unto man. God says that with every temptation, what does he do? He affords us a righteous means of escape. Jesus, who was tempted in all ways in which we were tempted, he lived a life without sin, neither was there a guile found in his mouth. So when the scripture says that even your faith, that even the faith that overcomes the world, even our faith in God, when the, when the Bible tells us we can overcome anything, we trust that we can overcome anything as long as we're working and as long as God is working. We know God's always going to work. So really, the question is, are you working? Are you putting your faith into action? Are you working it? Well, how do you work it? It says, <clears throat> it says in verse number 22 of James, the second chapter, it says, Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which said, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. Ye see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. Likewise, also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she received the messengers and had sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. If you want an example of faith at work, go back and read the entirety of Hebrews, the 11th chapter. Mm -hmm. And there are tons of examples of people who simply did this. When God said go, they believed enough that God is alive and that God works, and they just went out and did it. They believed God enough to do. Sister Bill? Yes. Brother Bill? Yes. 93-ish years old? I'm accounting for, you know, some additional weeks and days, weeks, and months. Okay. Well, what does the scripture say? Mm -hmm. Scripture says that you are to fight the good fight of faith up until death. 
What did Paul do? Paul was working all the way up until his 